And this is uh, old school, right? Uh, we're going back, and we're going back to the prophets that are pointing to the coming of Jesus. That Jesus is not a New Testament reality. He's an Old Testament promise that has come in the coming of Jesus, the first advent. And so as Christians, what we do is we don't just celebrate Christmas like our culture does. We celebrate Advent. Because the Advent in the Latin means the coming or the arrival. And so in this season, on the one hand, we look back and we see what Christ has accomplished in his first coming. But that expectation, that experience of what Christ has done should create an anticipation and a longing for what Christ will fulfill in his second coming. So if you're with me, if you're kind of following me at home or here, in the first coming, Jesus has come and accomplished things. He has come as the Messiah that has set things right, and yet it's not complete. And we're between this already but not yet. God has already come, but it's not complete. And so on the one hand, we have joy, and yet we go through sorrow. We have hope in Christ, and yet we walk through hopeless days. And so we're in this in-between time, and what Zephaniah is pointing to is what God would accomplish in the sending of Christ and the sending of the Messiah, and yet it won't be complete until Christ comes back. And so jump with me, if you will, in Zephaniah chapter 3. You're going to look at verses 9 through 20. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. Let's do it. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call in the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud exuberant ones. You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave you in your midst, a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue. For they shall, uh, for they shall graze and lie down and shall make them afraid. Verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Exalt and rejoice with your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And you shall never again fear evil. See, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with, with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn. For the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together. For I will make your renown and praise among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before the eyes of the Lord. Before your eyes, sorry about that, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. So this is truly an old school passage. What I mean by that, spoken during a time of the kings in the Old Testament, pointing forward to when God would come and set right and bring joy to his people. That what Zephaniah is describing is, first of all, what Christ has accomplished. And yet here's the, the tough reality. It's not complete. And in this passage, we're going to see two major ideas. That first of all, when Christ comes... 
all conflict is going to be vanquished. And then finally, joy will replace where conflict once stood. So the first idea is that conflict's going to be vanquished. But then second, where there was once conflict, what God is going to do, he's going to bring joy in those places where conflict once existed. So watch this in verse 9. It says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him in one accord. It's describing a day where the world gets put back. Where there's no more division, disunity, hatred, anger, brokenness, political parties. None of that. Instead, the world will be made right. Now, here's the beauty of that. Christ has begun that in your heart. When Christ came, he began to address the conflicts that exist within us, and yet there's still conflict in the world. And I think if we're honest, we live in a culture that loves conflict. I mean, let's be honest. That's what social media is. It's an opportunity to be outraged 24-7. I mean, whether it's day or night, it doesn't matter. You can get up 2 in the morning, you can be outraged. If you want to be outraged in the afternoon, you can turn on the political talk. No matter where you go, there is 24-7 outrage. And it's not just that people are upset. I think truly they are outraged. And often we're outraged at things that we cannot change. And things that in the end, if we really thought about it, they just don't matter. And see, in this space of outrage, when Christ comes, he's going to set right and bring together those who were once divided. Now, in this passage, he describes the way that that division takes hold in our lives. And the first thing he addresses is that when Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, when God returns, he's going to purify our words. So watch this again in verse 9 and then again in verse 13. He says, For all that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. And then again in verse 13. He says in verse 13, Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue. I think if we were honest, I think if we were honest for just a moment, most of the conflict that comes into our lives comes from what we say. We can say some pretty stupid things. I know as a husband I have said things that have taken a 15-minute conversation into a 15-week or 15-year conversation because of the stupidity of my mind and the foolishness of my words. Now, we all know the phrase, sticks and stones may, hurt, uh, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know who came up with that, but they were a fool. Because <laughs> I, I would rather take a broken bone, a broken leg, than the words that crush and destroy the soul. Because the writer of Proverbs says that in the tongue is the power of life and death. Jesus says it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so in this passage, what Zephaniah is pointing to is when Christ comes, what he's going to begin to do is to heal the heart, which begins to heal the speech. He heals the heart, sets us right, but that over time begins to heal our words. Now, if you've gotten a conflict this week, it's because that's not complete. That if you know Christ, he's begun to heal the heart, but it's not quite caught up to the speech. It's not quite up to our words yet. That God is resolving conflict in us, but it's an already not yet. It's whole, but it's, it's not quite complete. You know, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul captured um, that picture this way in Ephesians 4 verse 29. He said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good. And notice, for building up. As it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Now, growing up, I kind of lived in the church that focused on the no corrupting talk and kind of left out the building others up. You've been in that church? Hey, don't cuss, don't say the wrong words. We focused on what we don't do. But this is not about not cussing. It's about using your language in a way that brings life. Now, what what does that mean? Well, when someone curses you, you do not curse and revile back, but rather you return cursing with blessing because that's the way of Christ. That instead of returning evil with evil, what's that going to get us? It's going to get us a double dose of evil. We return evil with good. And that's what he's describing, that in our language, in our speech, when the Messiah, when the Christ comes, he's going to heal our hearts that begin to heal our words, and it's going to remove the conflict between us because I think most most of our lives, that's our words. It's the things that we hear that create conflict. And so in this season, would we truly celebrate Christ by allowing our words to bring life and not death? That when the in-laws show up and the conflicts happen, would we speak life and not death? Would we allow our hearts to be so radiated with Christ that what comes out is Christ and not just us? You with me? Because see, that's what Christmas is about. It's about the absence of conflict, but in the midst of conflict, here's a good thing, it pushes you into Christ. Hey, we need to praise God for some conflict, because see, without that, we wouldn't depend on Christ. And so in the midst of this season, as we walk into those times of conflict, may that draw us closer to him. Now, the second thing we see is not only are our words going to be healed, but second, he addresses the shame that we carry, and our shame will no longer drive us. Watch this, verse 11. It says, on that day there shall not be, uh, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. Notice what he's attaching shame to. He attaches shame to what we do. Because see, shame says, what I do defines who I am. Christ breaks that mold, that mode of operation. We're not defined by what we do. We're defined by what Christ has done and who he calls us to be. And see, I think if words kind of drive conflict, shame keeps conflict going. Because here's how shame works, I think, in a broken heart, is that many of us uh, battle with perpetual sins. Now, perpetual sin is a sin that you know is wrong. It's something you fall into, you trip up on, and you've made promises about. You know, I'm not going to do it again. And maybe you made promise to yourself in the beginning, this is not something I can continue to fall into And then that became promises to your wife, your husband, to your family, to whoever it is in the church, promises to God. And then what happens is six weeks later, after you made all those promises, you're right back in the pit again. You're in despair. And what that turns to is instead of turning to the Lord, we turn to self-hatred as if that's going to motivate us to change our behavior. And when you start hating yourself because of perpetual sin in your life, I don't know about you, I've experienced this. I become really aware of everybody else's failure. I I start to hold this level of law in my life, and I can see how everybody isn't living up. And when you're walking in perpetual sin and shame and guilt, what's going to happen is everyone else around you, you're going to see how they're failing to live up to your expectations because of this brokenness in your own heart. What God has done is he comes in and he says, I know all, I see all, I forgive all, and I call you my son and my daughter which allows shame to be uh, really removed of its power. And so when Christ comes in, he starts to address the shame. Is he doing that in this season? Hey, would this season not just be about great gifts, but the ultimate gift that Christ would begin to address the shame, that there's things in our lives we've got to get honest about. 
we're going to celebrate Christmas, let's celebrate it with a heart that is free from guilt and shame, which means, God, I just want to confess before you, but also before men. These are the areas that I'm struggling in. Would you know me fully? Would you love me fully so that I might love those around me completely and fully? Because when Christ comes, he heals the heart, heals the mouth, right? Heals the shame, but then finally, it's going to say that all the arrogant will be brought low. That God is not going to share his glory with anyone. Watch this, verse 11 again. At the end of verse 11, he says, For then I will remove from your midst your proud, exuberant ones. You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Meaning, I'm not sharing my glory with anyone. I'm not going to share my glory with your fame. Now, I think one of the hard aspects of the Christian life is to really follow Christ. It starts by admitting, I can't. I can't. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, there's no one righteous. And no one means no one. No, not one. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. That what we need more than a teacher is we need a savior. And, and the challenge, I think, in the church is you still think you, you can do it. We're not tired enough. I think with our own sin and the way we manage life, uh, the reason we go into pride is because we, we don't realize just how much we need him. That we think we can manage the temptations, right? I got this, I got this under control. You know, my words may cause problems from time to time. But it's not a big issue. You know, the shame that I'm carrying in my life, it's not really controlling. It's not really affecting my life. The problem is we don't see ourselves very well. And we don't see the effect that life has on us and, and how, how little of Christ is really captivated in our hearts. And really to come to the Christian life is to admit, God, I can't fix this. I can't do this. And that's not about salvation and future reality. That's about Monday, that's about Wednesday. It's about Thursday. It's about every moment in life recognizing my greatest need is not more information but a Savior. That, God, I need you in my marriage to save. I need you in my desires to save. I need you when I feel like losing heart because I see all the suffering in life and the mourning, the crying and the pain. Lord, I don't want to lose heart. I want to fix my eyes on what is unseen instead of what is seen. For what is unseen is eternal, but what is seen is temporary. See, what God has done in the sending of Jesus Christ is to begin to heal us, begins to heal our words, begins to heal the way we see ourselves, and then finally it begins to reduce the pride in our own hearts. And I think an easy way to acknowledge that is in this season, just giving God credit for what he's done in your life this year. Giving God credit for maybe what he's accomplished or maybe the successes or even some of the struggles in life and just saying, God, in all things, you've given me everything as a gift from you. All good gifts, as James says, comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. If I've got a good thing in my life, God, I'm going to give credit to you. And sometimes we need to do that publicly so we can kind of get it into our hearts privately. If we don't talk about God and give him uh, credit publicly, you're not going to walk in that privately. You with me on that? Because, see, out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks, which means we've got to be a people that are giving credit to our Creator and our Savior on a regular basis so that the Christ who has come to rescue us would be with us, be with us on a regular daily basis. See, what Zephaniah describes is that conflict will be removed when Christ gets a hold of our hearts. The question is, where are you on that trajectory? Because I could imagine in the next couple of weeks, maybe conflict's going to come stay over a few nights. 
Maybe conflict's going to show up, right? The presents are going to get open and conflict's going to show up and disappointment of a child didn't get the right color. It's not the right size. You know, we put up all these expectations and, and so much investment into this season and then the people that are around us maybe don't appreciate what we've done. And this conflict comes up. And I don't know about you, but it's going to show up right here, right, in your words. And it's going to start turning to shame and guilt that leads to greater conflict and pride. And in this season, what we need to do is say, Christ, come now. As we celebrate the last Advent, we celebrate the future Advent. And would you be the God of the Advent today in my celebration, in my family, in my conflicts, in all of these things? Would you dwell with us today? That's what the incarnation is about, Christ with us in our celebration. Well, see, it's not only about him solving conflict, but instead what happens in this book of Zephaniah is in verse 14, there's this massive shift. And it shifts from a story of punishment and judgment, but rather to a story of hope and jubilation. So watch this. Let's jump in into verse 14. That not only will conflict be resolved, but joy will dominate life. Notice, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. And when it says daughter of Zion, it's talking about us, the people of God. When it talks about Israel, it's talking about the people of God. We are his constituted people, those that belong according to Christ. And so sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why does God call us to sing? It's a good question, right? It's not because he's having a bad day. God doesn't ask us to sing because he wants to hear our great voices. What singing does is it connects what we believe with what we feel. And we're often in life not fully integrated. We're not, we don't have integrity, which means to be whole. That what we believe and how we feel don't get connected. Well, what happens when you sing is it connects what you believe and it makes it more real. And that's why in four different ways he's describing joy. Joy is to shout. Joy is to exalt. Joy is to sing. Joy is to celebrate. Joy is to take those aspects of God and make them more real to your life. And we're doing this. I see you guys doing this. You know, I head over Buchanan Rec Center. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes I do find myself there. And I notice just about everybody in the place has headphones on. Because they've got that five sets of ten or four sets of whatever. And they've got to get through that. And I can guarantee you they're probably not listening to Beethoven not a lot of classical music, because I can hear it. Some of you guys got it on so loud, you can hear it, hear it next to you. Uh, they're listening to rock. They're listening to rap. They're listening to something, because they got to get through that workout. And you need that music to get you up. Well, when we celebrate, when we sing, when we shout for joy, the purpose of that is to take the, re- the reality of what Christ has done, the good news, and, and allow that to penetrate, not just into our mind, which is important, but we are to worship him with our whole life with our emotions, with our will, to say, God, you have come, you've rescued me, and the conflict I'm walking in today and the difficulties I go through as I go through this season, and maybe there's a feeling of being alone, a feeling of sadness in this season at what has been lost, all of that is to point us forward to say, God, would you come and come in my celebration, and then one day I know you're going to come finally to set right everything that sin has, has made wrong. See, he calls us to exalt. And in verse 15 and following, he explains why there should be joy in our lives. Now watch this, verse 15. And the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. Hear what he's saying. The punishment 
that brought us peace, as Isaiah said, was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The oppression that we have caused didn't fall on us, but fell on Christ. And because it fell on him, God is now Emmanuel, which is with us. What Zephaniah is describing is what Christ has done. That because the punishment has fallen on him, we have peace with God. And we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, through faith in him alone. And what that does is no longer shall we fear. Now, notice the reason we don't fear is because of who our God is. As he goes on to describe, he says he is the mighty one who will save. You'll see that down in uh, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, and he is the mighty one who will save. The only thing that could defeat us, the greatest enemy we have, the Bible calls is sin and death. Because see, with death there's a finality, but Christ says, and it says in 1 Corinthians, that death, where's your sting? There's no power in death. There's no power in sin. The things that we fear in life have no power because Christ is overcome through his perfect love. And if God is this mighty warrior, notice it says a mighty warrior to do what? To save. God uses his might in your life to rescue you, to pull us out of darkness and the light, to, to allow the temptations of this world to diminish. You know, that's what we need to ask God to do on a regular basis. God, would you be that warrior that saves? And maybe not just save from sin, but save from the circumstances of life that we face. God, would you come and be that Messiah who rescues me now? I love this in uh, verse 18. Watch the language. Actually, uh, I lost it. It's not in verse 18. It's from verse 17. Watch the end of verse 17. It says, and he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet, uh, he will quiet you by his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. See, what it's describing is God singing over us. Now, I don't know if that mystifies you. That mystifies me that the creator of the universe would sing over me. You know, in the beginning, when you go to Genesis 1, it says, let there be light. You know what happened? Lights turned on. Let there be dry land. Dry land turns on, however that looks. What, what happens when God sings over your heart? Something turns on. And what it's describing here is when Christ comes, that's a regular reality. It's just that we're not in tune to it. And in this Christmas season, when we start in tuning ourselves to the Spirit, to Christ's voice, to God singing over us, that he treasures us, that we are a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, as Peter says, a people belonging to God, a people of God's own possessions, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. God's singing over us. Church, would we just tune into that this season? Because see, when we do, that's where the joy comes from. That's where the celebration comes from. You know, it'd be amazing to have some uh, recording artists that you love sing over you, right? Serenade you. Wouldn't that be amazing? Hey, God's got a greater voice. And his voice, when it speaks, it's not just a sentimentality. It reshapes your identity. It reshapes the way you see life. It reshapes everything because that's what the Advent season is about. God healing our hearts and changing the way we see life. And then let's end this in verse 20, and it says, At that time, notice he says, I will bring you in. At that time I will gather you together, for I will make you renowned in praise among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And I kind of skipped this, but in verses 18 and 19, he's describing the lame that are being healed. He's describing the outcasts coming in. He's describing their shame uh, changing to praise and if you read the story of the Gospels, that's what Jesus did. 
That when he went to John the Baptist, he said, hey, remember the lame are walking, the blind are receiving sight. The good news is preached to the poor. That in Jesus, we see the reality of Zephaniah, the promise, the hope of what God would do. It's begun. It's started. And in the end, in verse 20, God is going to bring us home. Because if you read at the end of the Bible, the last verse, it says, come, Lord Jesus, come. That's the longing of Advent, is that we long that Christ has come. But here's the reality. There is a restlessness in us that is not satisfied yet. And I know it's not satisfied yet, because I know it's not satisfied fully in me. I think Bono had it right. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because, see, on the one hand, I'm not saying I don't believe in Jesus. I don't feel he's... Uh, less satisfying, I think he's fully satisfying, but the reality is I live in this already but not yet. I live in the in-between. I walk through challenges and hardships and difficulties, and then you get into high school and you think, you know, I can't wait till I graduate high school, and you graduate high school, and you're like, I can't wait till I get to college, right? You get to college and you graduate somehow, you got through college, I can't wait till I get that first job. I can't wait until I actually have enough that I feel like I have something and I can buy something, you get there and you get that. I can't wait till I find that man, that woman that's going to satisfy my heart and my soul. I can't wait till we get kids because they're going to be terrific. They're going to listen to us, follow us, obey us. It's going to be peace, joy, harmony, right? I can't wait till we get there. And I can't wait till, I can't wait till we get to this place. I can't wait till we move to Evergreen. And I've heard your stories. That was, that was part of the desire, right? I can't wait till we find, I can't wait till we build that house. I can't. There is this restlessness in us. And I don't think any season is like the restlessness that gets wired into our heart during Christmas. I mean, everything is magical. At the Freeman Mansion, right? At the Freeman House, we've got our lights up. We've got our tree up. My kids, every single time a package shows up, they're like, is this for us? Uh, No, it's not for them. It's actually just the parts for the dryer that broke. But (laughs) don't, don't tell them that. But there's this, there's this anticipation, right? It's this anticipation. We're excited. I don't know about you. We're about five Christmas parties in. Yesterday, because of the generosity of someone, we got to go celebrate the Nutcracker. Have you done that? That's amazing. Just whimsical. This whole season that just kind of puts out this anticipation, excitement, and you're wondering, what's next? What's next? And then Christmas comes. Because you've been gearing up this since Thanksgiving. It comes, and I'm sometimes like, that's it? <laughs> That's Christmas? And one of the kids is upset because he didn't get what he wanted. The uncle starts talking politics. The the turkey gets overcooked, and and this disappointment kind of sets in. Because as soon as Christmas ends, it's got to go away. The lights start coming down, and by January 1st, it's over. And see, I think we live in this place of shadow, Because all that we anticipate is supposed to point us towards the one who can fulfill all things. The one who doesn't disappoint. The relationship that does make us whole. The words that heal life. That unto you is born in the city of David a savior. And the angel said, this is a message of joy and of great peace. It's good news that Christ has come. But it's not complete. And in this season of incompleteness... We need to hold on to him who has come. And we need to anchor our life and our anticipation when the disappointment comes in, the conflict comes in, when the words come out of my mouth. And I know they don't edify, but they tear down. That's where I've got to say, Maranatha, Lord, come. Be in my celebration. Be in my words. Be in my life. Be with my family when they show up. 
because I want this Advent season, this Christmas, not to be a holiday. I want this to be a season of worship, a season of change, a season where my hope isn't anchored in the circumstances of life, but anchored in the Christ who changes all things. Can we allow our faith to so set on Christ that he would begin to resonate in the heart, change our words, change the way we approach others, so that joy, real joy, would come. Not a joy in what we have or what we experience, but a joy in who we are in Christ and a joy in what God is doing in the world. Because I think, church, when we walk in that season, in that spirit, others are going to take notice. They're going to take notice of this quiet confidence of faith. Because I think there's others in our, our community that are walking through conflict. Hey, they're walking through words, and they can't, be, they can't be set free from the slavery they have to a speech that tears down. But when we respond in ways that demonstrate the power of Christ in our life, it causes them to take notice that there's something better. And all this anticipation we hope for, it's realized. It's realized in the one who has come, who is Jesus Christ, the good news for all mankind. Hey, let us walk in that joy, and may that be the pursuit we have this Christmas. Are you with me? Good. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I, I keep resonating just with the words of the angels that I bring you good news of great joy, not just of joy, but of an abundance of joy that is of the gospel, that in the city of David, of the line of David, and the prophecy of the Old Testament being fulfilled, that Christ the Lord, Jesus, has been born. And Father, you've come not just to get a hold of our behavior, but to change what we worship, to change our hearts. You've taken away that heart of stone. You've given us a heart of flesh. And you've written your words on our hearts, Lord, through the power of the Spirit, that we have everything today we need for life and godliness. There's nothing we lack. Father, you've blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And yet, Lord, we just don't allow you to be the Lord who has come, Emmanuel, God, with us. In this celebration, in this season, Lord, would we walk with you? Would we hear your voice? And, Lord, would the joy that we celebrate and the anticipation we have be the anticipation that comes from you? and can only be satisfied in you. Father, thank you that we get to celebrate this season. And thank you, Father, that you're the center of all things in this season. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.